This is the Legal Tea with B podcast brought to you by me, Blessing Makosha Park, also known as the Chic Legal Geek. Follow the podcast online at Legal Tea with B and keep hashtag Legal Tea in all of your tweets so that we can read them out in the next episode. Hi, Bumi. Hi, Blessing. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Um, I was thinking that you could introduce yourself and sort of what stage of like life and your career you're at and all of that stuff. Okay, so um, I am currently a bar professional training course student. Um, so that's the course that you do to become a barrister. I'm doing it part time, but I'm in my final year of the course. Um, so I'll be finishing up in June and hopefully by God's grace, I'll get called to the bar later this year. Amen. Um, thank you. Um, apart from doing the course, um, I work full time at uh, Barristers Chambers, so um, it's, it's it's relatively nice, very exciting. Um, I get to see cases, high profile cases, and deal with those. Um, aside from that, I do have like personal hobbies, so I love things to do with real estate, interior design, fashion, and I've currently got my own fashion um, online blog called the Fashion Law Chronicles. Yes, I love that. <laughs> So I started that back in 2016, whilst I was in my second year of my law degree. Um, and that was literally just through attending a fashion event and someone coming up to me and being like, oh, hey, did you know you can combine fashion and law? Um, I did a bit of research, saw it was an actual legal area. Um, it was not very popular in the UK, but very much popular in the States. Um, so I said, okay, let me figure it out. So made a website, got some contributors um, to write some online platform, and this is where we are. Um, we've since gone on to be a finalist at the UK Blog Awards for 2017. Um, we Goodness. held our first um, ever event um, in conjunction with another law firm um, back in 2017 as well. Um, currently, at the moment, we're just on a break because I'm doing the bar course, but I'm looking to start it up and we launch next year oh thank you for sharing all of that I thought it was amazing and that's exactly why I wanted you to come on to this episode because I I do agree with you that it seems like fashion law is a really big thing over in the states and then over in the UK it's it's a bit more of an understated area I think a lot of people are familiar with intellectual property, but yeah. even at the bar side of the profession, it's there's small. such a small amount of chambers that actually specialize, specialize in, that in that area. And for those of you who aren't familiar, the difference between a barrister's chambers and a sort of solicitor's firm is that a chambers is a collection of barristers who are independent advocates and they sort of pull together resources to have a a singular place that they work out from and they have clerks who are responsible for bringing work into chambers so when we say um, chambers we're just referring to that structure and there's not a lot of them that actually look at fashion law no not at all I mean yeah literally when I say fashion law everyone's like huh what's that Mm. sort of thing (laughs) like so then I have to break it down to them like if you've heard of copyright intellectual property um environmental law employment law um it's just those but more tailored to the fashion side of um life so yeah um so i thought we'd open the conversation because this episode is called um will you be my fake prada bay so we're going to be talking all about um this whole concept of having fake fashion and also what it means to copy fashion, especially in the fast fashion uh, era that we're currently in. So 
There's a really interesting Instagram page called Diet Prada and it's a really established famous account and what it does is it exposes people and designers that copy other designers so on and off the runway so that's celebrities and you know everyday people and um, in November of 2019 uh, the Twitter timeline was much amused when a new Twitter account called Fake Drip Spotter was launched and it gained nearly 10,000 followers in 24 hours Uh, the account's sole purpose is to expose people and celebrities wearing fake designer items and it writes in its bio personally I rock plain white tees and jeans but these guys want to cut corners so this is the conclusion Um, The account takes images from Snapchat or other social media platforms of purportedly designer luxury items and exposes them as fakes, noticing subtle differences in branding, design and finish that assure them that the item is a fake. Um, And I thought that with so many popular fashion trends that draw from hip hop style and culture, um, which itself promotes the sort of excessive consumption of luxury brands and Nicki Minaj just collaborated with and released a song called Fendi. Fendi, So I thought that was just really encapsulated what it is we're talking about. So I want to ask you, do you think it's a surprise that people are spending money on fake designer drip? Um, I'm not surprised at all. Like you've pretty much said, everyone wants to be seen in the latest designer clothes, rocking the latest designer trainers, bags, you know, that's what everyone wants to Mm. be seen. I feel like if you have designer, that shows your other particular status. You know, you've pretty much basically arrived. Um, And people will, you know, give attention and respect to you. Um, In terms of people um, people buying fake um, designer, I'm not surprised at all. Um, I've seen 18-year-olds rock designer clothes. (laughs) um, I know how much they cost. And it's like, I can't even afford that at all. Um, so the only way for them to be seen is to buy the fake versions of it. Um, do I agree? Uh, personally, no. Mm. I think if you haven't got the funds, if you haven't got the money, don't buy the fake version. But that's what makes luxury luxury, doesn't it? It's, it's supposed, one of a yeah, kind. It's yeah. one of a kind. It's limited. It's exclusive. Yeah, you know, yeah. there, there should be, you know, back in the day, I remember when you had... Um, I'm obsessed with female rappers, so yeah. people are going to figure this out eventually. <laughs> but when you had people like Foxy Brown and Lil' Kim like actually wearing the Chanel logos yeah. on their hair, yeah. or when um, I think Foxy Brown collaborated with Fendi as well, yeah. and she was wearing Fendi prints, it was... It was crazy because yeah. that was luxury. Like, who knew that you could even get a Fendi bikini? Exactly, yeah. But these days, Everyone's you could get Fendi anything. Anyway, yeah, I mean, <laughs> you've got, I remember, so when the off-white belts came. Yeah. And I used to see so many people with off-white belts. Mm. And I was just like, but, like. I thought this was hard, hard to get. Yeah, you know, but I've seen people pretty much, you know, Pull it out like it, you can buy it from Primark, for example. Well, it's, you can go to Primark and buy it. That's something we'll touch upon later. But you can go to Primark or whatever and buy these sort of fake. Because I think another really interesting thing that I think that's bridged the gap are influences. Yes. Because yeah. back in the day, I can imagine that you would only really see things like, do you remember when the only people wearing Balenciaga on Instagram were the Kardashians? Kardashians, yeah. You know, and then then you'd see celebrities and then you'd be able to know a, a, that fashion. they were... 
Yeah, because yeah. they were wearing it. Yeah. So these fashion houses would send it to these celebrities yeah. and artists yeah. who would then wear it in their music videos. And, and that's how you knew. But yeah. now it's sort of any everyday influencers got some GG or double C. You know, or... it's, it's, it's like a staple <laughs> in their um, wardrobe. Like, you know, just fling it on whenever I like sort of thing. I've seen so many people with that same one Balenciaga bag. You know, that small one yeah, with yeah, the handle. Yeah. And I thought, hang wait, if you've got one and I go on Instagram and I don't know, Kylie Jenner's got one, but you and Kylie Jenner are handling very different, different amounts of income. Mon- yeah. So, so what's the truth? <laughs> I think, do you know what with that? I mean, I love fashion. I love designer goods. Mm. I don't own any designer goods. I feel like the only thing that would classify as designer, if you like, is House of CB stuff. Yeah. I mean, that's my term. But I think it is. This crafted. Um, Yeah. It's a luxury product. It's a luxury. I do. For what it's been sold for, I definitely think it's classified as design and luxury. Um, But in terms of like, I just think, what's the point in wearing fake designer goods? It's like, it doesn't. It takes away from the, you know, the whole It's from the magic of the thing. Yeah. Like. But that's the problem, I think. One of the issues that, on the one hand, brands love the exposure. They love the fact that they're household names. names yeah. I mean, back in the day, I didn't know what a Balenciaga was. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. And now, apparently, I know what they do. And and maybe, you know, that attainability and that ability to, you know, now now Balenciaga can sell a phone case exactly. for, yeah. for £100 pounds yeah. or with just their logo on it. And people will buy that. Yeah. So this the your the ability to sell and promote the brand and have people recognize it has been massively increased. But the downside is that the counterfeit fashion market has also increased. Yeah. People I feel like people suffer. So the people who are actually making these brands, the designers, the manufacturers, they don't okay, lots of people are buying their products, but they're actually losing something. Yeah. And they're having their craftsmanships um, replicated. And it's not even, oh, it's being replicated and someone's giving recognition. It's being replicated and, you know, passed off yes. to somebody else's. So they're not even getting credit or anything at all. And I think when you have that, it just makes you really question, like, hold on a minute, what's, <clears throat> sorry, what's going on? And, mm. You know, yeah, it's, it's not really a win-win per se. Yeah. Like, they do literally suffer, so. And on the subject of who suffers from um, faux luxury goods, um, the Organisation for Economic Cooperation and Development, so OECD, produced a, t- a statistic that said the faux luxury counterfeit market is worth £450 billion. Wow. And um, also um, official stats from the European Union um, sets that the clothing, footwear, and accessories industry loses approximately 26.3 billion euros of revenue annually from counterfeit goods, which account for nearly 10% of total sales. And globally, imports of counterfeit and pirated goods are worth nearly half a trillion dollars a year, according to the OECD, with the US, Italian, and French brands being the hardest hit. So people actually lose money from this um i thought it was really interesting business of fashion um and i follow them and i think they're a really good resource um just for 
if you want to look at the commercial realities in fashion um, and stay up, up to date. So they, in March 2017, produced an article called Fighting the 450 Billion Trade in Fake Fashion. And um, they actually profiled the, U- the United Kingdom is really unique. We have a specialist um, police intellectual property crime unit. So PIPCA. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's the only one of a kind of its uh, one of the kind of, of its world in the world at the time. And it's primarily, fo- primarily focused on tackling the supply side of the faux luxury market. Um, so it was established uh, around 2014. Um, it raids basements for fake goods and can put offenders in jail for up to 10 years. But because a lot of these fashion sales have moved online, so have the counterfeiters. Yeah. So they had an operation called Operation Ashiko, and um, they basically focus on closing down rogue websites that masquerade as genuine fashion vendors. Um, so consumers might want to pay close attention here. If you are looking online for a deal on your designer drip, you could just be buying fake. Um, websites that purport to sell real Burberry, Longchamp, Prada, Gucci, Tiffany, uh, Abercrombie & Fitch and UGG, including sportswear brands like Adidas, Nike and Reebok, have all been shut by Pipka um, and it was reported that over half of the sites that they close are selling footwear made from poorly made replica trainers to $1,000 faux luxury stilettos. And um, you might be interested to know that by volume, uh, fake clothing is second, followed by websites offering fake handbags, accessories, jewelry, and and watches. So this is a really big thing. Yeah, it's, it's it's like an epidemic pretty much um, taking up the fashion world but then i'm just when you were reading i'm just thinking so we have sites like aliexpress yeah and aliexpress i've seen you can purchase anything from hair to clothes to shoes designer goods would that come under that type it would yep so essentially if you are a vendor selling counterfeit goods um you will if they're able to track it down to you then you will face the repercussions um and it's a really interesting thing because i remember back in the early days you know when uh everybody was using things like limewire and like getting video do you remember when you'd get a dvd and it would have that you wouldn't you wouldn't steal a car um that whole advert because back in the day the pressure was put on you You, the person consuming the content Mm -hmm. purchasing the content or material but these days the emphasis is really on the vendors yeah. so i would say that when it comes to um those kinds of vendors on aliexpress if you get away with it great but generally speaking you probably won't especially at the trade and customs level exactly, yeah. if they're able to open up a package it will see that a package contains something that could be a, a counterfeit item they will trace that back so you can find yourself facing legal action in the uk okay, yeah. um obviously Brexit has been a bit of an issue, but before that, a lot of brands were also going to the European Court of Justice um, to actually enforce their intellectual property rights and try and tackle some of this. Um, Yeah. Something interesting that I thought we might want to touch on as well is this whole concept. So in Business of Fashion's article, they talked about how... um, Allegedly, the anti-counterfeiting group, which is a UK-based trade bodies, body whose members include Burberry, Michael Kors, Hermes and Jimmy Choo, 
um, stated that intellectual property crime is funding other crimes like the smuggling of drugs, guns, and people. Um, and last, uh, sorry, in 2016, the body worked with customs and border officials to find more than 80,000 counterfeit I- items with a total street value of £3.5 million. Though this rep- represents a tiny fraction of the overall trade in fakes in the UK. So do you think there's also an ethical question here of if you're buying fake designer goods? Obviously, that's from a criminal enterprise. So what could that be funding? Um, yeah. Because I'm also just thinking back to when I see, and no shade to anyone out there who does <laughs> take part in this. Uh, a lot of the times, say, you'll see, like, trappers. Yeah. And, you know, they're part of that lifestyle. And what comes mm. with that lifestyle is you wearing the designer goods. And a lot of the times, they may be into illegal activity like drugs and what have you. Mm. Um, so I do think the two link. I do think if you are purchasing items from those people you are not necessarily directly contributing to whatever the money's going towards but i do feel like you also um, bear some of the responsibility in that you're funding their lifestyle so if it's a lifestyle of drugs you're practically funding that that lifestyle so it's like you've got to ask yourself is it worth it is it worth it to buy these goods whether it's genuine or whether it's fake from these criminals Um, exactly i think it's a personal question you have to ask yourself i can't really say bring my (laughs) opinion and say okay everyone's supposed to take i think it's just a personal thing Um, the barrister within you would caution against it yeah i i yeah the barrister with me would stay well away from it you know i love my fashion goods but when it comes within criminal activity i'm gonna have to step back and and just to say you know when being the biggest barb around when nikki did her fendi collab i wanted that fendi shoe so bad did i have 750 (sighs) pounds no i did not did i go into the fendi store and hold it and look at it just see what it it. could be yeah and then i put it back and i took my broke self back home because sometimes it's not for you and that's okay you know it's (laughs) I mean, you could get it. I do believe sometime you'll get it. But Amen. I think, you know, the honest way of working for your money and the satisfaction of buying the goods as opposed to the illegal route. Um, that's definitely true. And I, there's two things I wanted to touch on. Firstly, I wanted to read a tweet um, from someone who, uh, this was in reference to our last episode, which was called Do Not Go to Prison for That Man. And that was all about... Um, you know, being a ride or die. Yeah. And he, uh, this is from uh, Taishan, and he's at Taishan Ifil, um, if I pronounce the surname wrong, I hope he doesn't come for me, um, on Twitter. And you can see this retweet on the Legal Tea um, Twitter page as well. He says, this pod's had me thinking, UK rappers also perpetuate the ride or die motif where they boast about girls trafficking drugs in return for designer items. Blessing and Georgia smashed it by stripping the glamour behind this and looking at its true criminal societal impact. So I think that's a really interesting insight that he made that referenced what we were talking about just now. Um, And there's also a a new, um, I I call it new, it's only new because I I only just heard of Mm. it. Um, And it's called Kashmir. It's called at Kashmir, the app on Twitter. And it's there to help you save up for luxury goods whilst being financially savvy. Um, And their hashtag is from wishlist to wardrobe. So, you know, 
if I knew about that when I was saving up for my Fendi, maybe I could have been a bit sensible you know, and saved up for it. But, you know, there's options. There's options. That's what I'm saying. I always think any... Do you know what? Designer um, clothing, shoes, bags, or what have you, isn't just for a particular set of people. Mm. I think we could all, at some point, um, get those items. In terms of how quickly we can get them, obviously, it's down to the individual. But they're individual, but there are definitely, you know, honest options out there for you to acquire these things. So I really wish, you know, people would, you know, look into them as opposed to the legal routes. And the fact that there can be these really big ramifications of investing in these, you know, illicit enterprises. Exactly. Um, I'm, but then again, I'm also thinking, I understand that there's peer pressure. Peer pressure is huge. Yeah. It's a huge thing. I mean, thing. We're not go- I'm not going to downplay peer pressure at all everyone wants to look good everyone wants to be seen in the latest garments even my 13 year old brother wants to be seen in the latest i'm like you are 13 years old please go to school but you know it's it's (laughs) it's a really big thing so i understand that um so yeah i just think it's one of those things where the individual has to make a choice choice themselves so i thought now we could talk a bit more about the actual legal ramifications of copywriting or copying goods and um creating fake luxury items. Um, So just for those who aren't aware of where all of these legal issues are actually handled, uh, there's a division of the High Court called the Intellectual Property Enterprise Court, so IPEC, I think that's how you say it, um, where claims relating to infringements of intellectual property rights are heard. Um, There's a lot of different case law. You know, Bumi, you said earlier, which is correct, that in England we don't really have the same... Yeah, we don't have like we don't. How can I put this? We don't have a specific organization or legal group where anything relating to fashion um can be sorted out. Like we've got, if it's stuff to do with employment law, we've got so many organizations. Yeah, there's it's 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 recognized. It's recognized. We've got legal backings to help people. Mm. Um, but within fashion, it's not so much. I think. I mean, I only know of two law firms that actually deal with like fashion and retail so fox williams and michaconderia and they deal pretty much with like the whole fashion stuff um but yeah unfortunately in the uk we don't have an actual backing um as opposed to in the us yeah it's, it's a shame but there it does mean that the case law in this area um and the legal principles in this area are evolving and adapting um, I thought something really interesting to know is that copyright and trademark infringement notices can now be served through Instagram. Oh, wow. Yeah. So in a legal first in February of 2019, uh, the high court accepted a court order which was served through Instagram. So Fox Williams partner, yeah. um, Simon Burnett, Bennett, used Instagram to serve notice on behalf of Holland Cooper in an infringement claim over design rights in ladies' fashion capes. So permission to serve notice using Instagram in addition to email was granted by District Judge Lambert. Um, Yeah. And the case was then, you know, progressed to be heard in the um, IPEC division of the high court. Um, And Bennett speaking said, I understand that this is the first time that the IPEC division has granted a court order to be served by way of Instagram. This paves the way for court orders to be served on defendants via the social media channel that they access regularly. Which is, I think that's very progressive and actually really good. Um, Because like you've touched upon, social media is like our biggest 
markets everyone uses it mm. um a lot of the times instagram is a big it's big a huge one. platform um where i think they've even got a feature where you can actually shop on instagram yep instagram so, shops are a thing yeah it's that's a very very good way to actually catch people out to be quite honest with you because social media is pretty much what drives mm. everything nowadays um so yeah so if you are somebody with a brand um and you are wanting to both protect your brand and also be aware of potential infringements you could be found liable for. Just be aware that there is precedent now that you can serve legal notices yeah, yeah. through Instagram if that's your primary social media channel that you use. Um, the same presumably can be said for other channels like Twitter and so on. Yeah. So watch your DMs um, <laughs> and stay careful. Um, I thought as well, so... There's not a lot, as we mentioned, there's not a lot of legal precedent in here, but there is an interesting case of called Caldor and Leanne, and that was a claim for copyright and design infringement. Um, but it failed because the court essentially said that, um, so what had happened is you had a designer who had made um, a print or something, a textile designer had made a print for Marks and Spencer's, Marks and Spencers hadn't gone with that designer, but had asked, you know, someone else to design garments for them. They had designed a garment that looked very similar to the textile that had been previously shown. Um, eventually, what happened is that the uh, IPEC court found that the defendant's evidence that the fabric it had designed was created without sight of the claimant's fabric and without sufficient instruction that could have amounted to indirect copying and further that the similarities behind the designs were not sufficiently compelling to infer that there'd been subconscious copying. Um, and the reason why this was so interesting for intellectual property lawyers is before the courts used to focus a lot on what is objectively the same or yeah. different. So if you have two shirts and they look similar, the court's going to be like, all right then. But now things seem to have moved on into this concept of indirect and subconscious copying. Yeah. So you have to really show that I came up with this de design on my own. I think that's quite a tricky one. Mm. I think because I look back, for example, at uh, House of Sea Beats with Conan Walker. Yes. And a lot of her pieces, um, she's got a distinctive way of she's making... She's got an aesthetic. Yeah, yeah so you, you will know... It. The bandage of, panel. Yeah, you know of. when you see a house when it's a genuine house of seaweed um, cloth, you'll know. Um, but then you've got other um, or, um, other companies like Opoly, and I feel like they've very much mirrored their new design and their yeah. clothes to the house of seaweed. Yeah. It's a question of like who came up with it first. And it's, so something I, I'm really glad that you noticed that because. I wanted to see what you thought about if it is subconscious, it's an indirect and subconscious copying that's an issue. What do we do then where everything looks the same? same. So similar aesthetics, similar designs. How can brands and designers justify that their designs are unique and not just part of common? You know, because I think everyone, it's very possible that it was all done innocently mm. where you know you thought of a design and you said okay i'm gonna you know make it into something and then somebody down the road has that same thought process hasn't seen your design or seen what you're working on 
and says, oh, I like that. I'm going to do that. And it's just, you know, when the two come together, they see they've got two very similar looking patterns, textiles. Um, I think it's not very much, in this country, not very much can be done to really show you came up with it first. I think the obvious thing is if you've got, you know, your plans, your sketches, your date stamps. Um, Also, I know if you're looking to register like a logo, for example, I know in order to register a logo, you've got to make an online, well, you can make an online application or you can make a written application to make sure that, you know, it's registered and anybody looking to, you know, maybe steal that mm. or make their own logo can actually look up in the, um, the directory and see to see. Um, so I think that's obviously, again, just register your designs, your logos. And yeah, it's Trademark just it. trademarking is the best form. Um, but then even though when you do trademark, that's not necessarily, there's only so much a trademarking will do. Yeah. So I think it's, it's a gray area. It's, difficult but I do think that with more lawyers like yourself and myself too you know trying to make sure that we do carve out a distinct emphasis upon fashion law because I think up until now a lot of our intellectual property legislation and common law has been good enough but as we've seen with the Instagram summons things are moving very Very fast fast, and we need to have a legal sort of landscape and framework that is responsive to that Um, and I thought as well, Huffington Post did an um, article as well um, where they talked about fast fashion and copying. Um, so fast fashion is defined as inexpensive clothing produced rapidly by mass market retailers in response to the latest trends. Um, and in the US, the reason why fast fashion companies can get away with blatant copying is because there's essentially no protection for fashion design mm-hmm. as well as uh, as long as no <laughs> recognizable logos, motifs or pattern are used, then all is well. So in the UK, we know that it's not quite the same and you can um, find yourself liable. But then, you know, it's a question of if it's happening so much, perhaps we need more than you know, maybe the police force that we mentioned before needs to be expanded. Maybe there needs to be a regulator. Just, I think that the volume and the mass that all of these things are happening and being produced and sold is that we need to be sort of on our toes. Toes. I think a good way of maybe trying to tackle this problem is in the States, obviously it happens in the States as well, but fashion law is a lot progressive there than in here. So maybe it could be a case of having those fashion lawyers in America working together with some of the fashion lawyers that we have here, maybe intellectual property lawyers, Mm. everyone working collectively, them teaching them how to set that legal precedent and to help our UK-based organisations and companies and designers to, you know, basically fight away from these counterfeit sites. And fast fashion in general. So maybe it's a thing of just them coming and teaching and everyone working collaboratively together. Asking it is, okay, that's an American thing. That's a UK thing. That's a French thing. Like, everybody comes together because it's a worldwide epidemic, basically. I agree. Um, And there is a particular law firm um, in the UK um, called Crayfovi. I'm so sorry if I pronounced that wrong. It's C-R-E-F-O-V-I. And they have a bunch of really interesting um, 
YouTube videos. Uh, they had a conference um, and they got together some intellectual property lawyers from UK and America and other parts of Europe uh, to sort of give an insight as to what is possible in terms of trademarking luxury brands and how do they protect and enforce. So that informed a lot of my research for this episode. So if you are interested in learning more, then please have a look at this resource. Um, and uh, yeah. Um, Boomi, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. Thank I feel like we've really had a great discussion and covered a lot of things. Um, I also wanted to ask, where can people find you? Right, so... Um I'm mainly on Instagram and Twitter. Um, so in terms of my personal Instagram, I'm at Bumi underscore G Jennifer. Um, in terms of the Instagram for the fashion, um, the fashion law chronicles, it's literally the fashion law chronicles. Um, on Twitter, I am personally on Bumi underscore G Jennifer again. Um, and in terms of the fashion law chronicles Twitter page, it's the fashion law C. Um, we do have a website for the Fashion Law Chronicles. It's the www.thefashionlawchronicles.com. At the moment, probably if you enter it into the search um, engine, it will probably come up with a website. Is expired because I've currently taken it off. Um, but um, that's the actual website. It will be relaunching sometime later this year, early next year. So that's where you can find me. Thank you. Um, so before we finish, I want to ask you, listeners, would you buy or wear fake designer drip? If you would, why? And if you wouldn't, why not? Uh, and use the hashtag legal tea to talk about the podcast online. Um, thanks for listening, guys. And I'll see you in the next episode. Bye. Bye. Thank you.